Father in heaven, we've come together here seeking something. Each of us is seeking something maybe a little bit different. Maybe we need to hear something from you that we've been struggling with. Maybe we're here to fellowship. Maybe things have been challenging. Maybe we just want to praise you. You know the reasons why we're here. I'm just asking that tonight you would please um, allow me to be hidden behind you. You know what you desire to be shared. You know what needs to be heard. And so I pray that the words would not be mine, um, but yours, and that your power and your Holy Spirit would be here tonight in a mighty way to move on the hearts of each person to do with what you convict on their hearts fully and completely, no turning back. We thank you again for the privilege of being able to study, to hold, and to look at your word tonight. And we pray and ask, knowing that if we ask, you delight to give. We thank you again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you'll turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to look at the letter that Paul wrote um, to the Philippians. I just wanted to give you a little bit of a background um, for myself. Um, I uh, went to medical school at Loma Linda. You know, I did not, um, I didn't go into medicine. I didn't know my entire life that I was going to go into medicine. I, all I knew was I heard missionary stories growing up um, when I was at church. I would hear people share about someone who answered a call somewhere and went to share the gospel wherever it was. And sometimes it was overseas, and sometimes um, it was right there in our community. And I remember thinking over and over again, I just want to go wherever you send me. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I can be a nurse. I can write. I will do whatever. And, you know, people always ask, when did you know you wanted to be a doctor? I don't know. All I know is I just kept going forward, however it was that God... um, desired wherever he was calling. I made the decision to go to Loma Linda um, for one specific reason. I remember, you know, you make your lists, right? All the pros on this side, the cons on that side. And um, I made the list. And in speaking with several physicians, many of them mentioned that medical school was the time in which they lost their faith or put, put aside their faith because they were so busy doing school. And I didn't want that to happen. Medical school was not worth it if in the process I lost sight of the very one who called me there. And when I went there, the one thing repeatedly in my heart over and over again, I had never struggled through school, never struggled through school. It always tended to come pretty easy. but. But medical school was challenging, was very, very challenging. And I remember thinking, Lord, if you want me to do this, why does this have to be so hard? I sought help. I did everything that I could. And 
and went through, and by God's grace, he has led me every step of the way where I've been. My husband and I, um, we met while, um, while I was doing residency, and we both made a commitment. Um, what actually um, attracted me to him at the very beginning was him getting up and sharing a testimony about answering a call to serve God wherever he was. And he had come into the faith through 3ABN. He was working as an accountant, eventually worked as an accountant for 3ABN, and then um, went to AFCO back in 2000. And ever since then had been a Bible worker. And as I, I remember sitting there and thinking, here's this man who had a dream at the age of 45. He wanted to be retired on a boat in Lake Michigan. That was, that was his dream. And if you, if you ask Jim to this day where anywhere was in the world that he wanted to go, it was Lake Michigan. doesn't matter. You, you want to go into, to Europe or to what? Sure, it'd be nice to visit, but where do you want to be? Lake Michigan. That's where it was. And so we, we went to Lake Michigan when we, um, when we got married. But what attracted me to him was this, was the fact that here's a man who wanted to retire on a boat in Lake Michigan at the age of 45, and instead he was driving around the country every six months with everything he owned in a car, doing Bible work wherever God called him to do. And I remember sitting there and thinking, who does that? Right? <laughs> who gives up everything because of the call of Christ? And if you know my husband, my husband is a very quiet and a very shy person. The Krugers know him. He, Used to his parents, my um, my mom and dad, my my in-laws, live in um, Dyersburg, Tennessee, where the Krugers had come from, and um, they know how quiet Jim is. He could easily sit with a group of people and not utter one word the entire time, and he would be completely at peace. And yet, when he comes to someone, to a home somewhere, and he speaks about the love of Christ. You can't stop him talking about it. And he speaks with such passion, and his voice grows and it strengthens. And there's an earnestness and a desire for them to know the Bible for themselves, to study it and to find out about it the way he himself found out about it. And I remember sitting and thinking, wow. I want that kind of passion and purpose and drive in my life. After he gave the testimony, I wrote down in my journal, um, Lord, um, I know I'm never going to see this guy again. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, this is the kind of man I would like to serve God alongside for the rest of my life. So if I don't see him, just bring along somebody just like him. And nine months later, he shows back up at the church as a Bible worker. And it was funny because I, um, Pastor Bradshaw and he were friends, and so the, he asked um, Jim to come and to um, be a Bible worker there at the church. And, you know, I wanted to find out his name, but I was too embarrassed to ask, um, ask John so, or Melissa um, but I remember when, he walked, when I walked into that church, and as we, as we continued and have been on a journey of ministry over the last um, seven years, we've been married six, known each other for a little over seven years, um, 
It has truly been remarkable. The best part of my life has been serving alongside. God answered that prayer to have someone with whom I can serve him alongside from day to day. We would love to have a place that we call home. We have oftentimes even, we would love the desire to be able to have a family and to have kids. And for whatever reason, God has not answered those prayers for us. Which is, which is okay, and we're okay with that. But I remember us thinking, you know, we, have, we don't have a place that we have that is home. And yet, my husband um, would repeatedly tell me, you know, um, we go wherever God leads. That's home, right? And we're all, our aim, our entire purpose is so that we can take everybody back to our permanent home. With that in mind, I want us to look at Philippians and to look at the letter of Paul to the Philippians. We're going to start in Philippians 1, verse 19. Paul has written to the Philippians. He's talking about how you know, he's been in prison and um, some people have been emboldened because of the fact that he was in prison to go and to share um, the message and some people are doing it well, and some people are doing it with strife. But he says in this con that context, whatever happens, I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That phrase, to live is Christ. To live is not getting a job, being successful, making a name for ourselves, being famous, doing all those things, having security. Um, to live is Christ. Christ in me, Christ working through me. Christ is the reason I wake up in the morning. Christ is the reason I go out and I do the work that I do from day to day. To live is Christ and nothing else matters. Nothing else but that. To live is Christ. Is that what we wake up with every morning? In, all the, in the midst of the frustrations and the challenges, some of you work directly in ministry. Some of you are doing ministry within the workplaces that you are. Some of you are going to school and that is your ministry. Is living for you is waking up every morning, Christ. Do you know him so well that every other ambition pales in comparison to that? Every struggle we have, every challenge and difficulty we have rubbing up against each other, is it worth it? Is it okay? Do we still wake up and serve within the church because we know that to live is Christ? And we look at the way that how, how Christ lived, 
that is what motivates us, moves us, and goes and drives us forward? If we read further on, Paul says in verse 22, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet I sh- what I shall choose, I don't know. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. He would love to have been gone. If you have any unction that, that living day-to-day was easy for Paul, right? beaten, imprisonments, shipwrecks, his own people, he was so excited when he had the conversion that he thought his own people would accept it because of how enthusiastically he shared it and how, what the experience as he testified about it. And they rejected it as they rejected Christ. And God allowed him to take the message to the Gentiles. Life was not easy for Paul at all. So he would love to have been with Christ. But let me suggest to you that the reason Paul would rather depart and be with Christ was not simply to escape the sufferings of this world. When you read through the letters of Paul, Paul had such a walk and a relationship with Christ that if he could depart and be with him face to face, that would mean more than anything in the world to him. But here's the thing. He stayed. He said, it was okay. I'll stay. I'll be here. Why? Verse 24, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul had such an experience with Christ, knew what Christ could do in a life surrendered to him, that he would not dare withhold that opportunity from someone else if God could use him. It wasn't a boastful statement. There was nothing about that statement that said, I am capable, I'm going to save you, I'm going to do this for you. There was nothing in that. He just knew that there was a need out there and not enough laborers. And that if God could use him, even if it meant more beatings, more stripes, more joblessness, more traveling around, more shipwrecks, more whatever else, if it meant that the gospel got out, he was willing to be there and to be alive if that is what God chose for him. And the question is, are we willing to accept whatever it is that Christ wants us to do? not for ourselves, but because we have experienced Christ so much that we would not withhold that from another soul if God could use us to give that.
Why was Paul able to do this or to say this? I want you to look at something. Um, You'll turn with me to Acts chapter 8. We're going to look at two people. Acts chapter 8. This is when we first... um, Actually, I guess the end of 7 is when we first meet Saul, Saul, um, Paul's former name. But Acts chapter 8... He's consented to the death of Stephen. And then you read Acts chapter 8, verse 1, And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that went were scattered abroad everywhere, preaching the word. You then go to chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they are men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And he would do to them what was done to Stephen. That was his passion and his desire. Nobody asked him to do it. He went and asked them. He went and asked them, give me permission. So zealous was he for what he thought was the cause of God, that he asked for permission to destroy those that were against what he understood to be the mission of God. Go with me, please, to Exodus chapter 2. We meet um, another man of God, Moses. Many of us know this story well. For those who don't, a brief description. The Israelites are in captivity in Egypt. They're wanting to kill all the male children because they, the Egyptians are scared that they're getting too strong. The Israelites are getting too strong. But Moses' mother hides him. And Pharaoh takes him, Pharaoh's daughter takes him out of the water. And in God's wonderful way of turning around events, his own mother gets paid to take care of him. And it says in verse um, 9, And the woman took the child and nursed it, and the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses, and she said, Because I drew him out of water. Now, it's very interesting. I was thinking about that today, and I wondered, you know, what was his name before he, he went to go and, um, and, and be Pharaoh's daughter? What did his mother call him? We'll find out in heaven, I guess. Jacobed, 
as a woman of faith, I, I wanted to read you something. If you ever get a chance, Education, page 61, that chapter is incredibly, incredibly powerful. But this is what is said of Jochebed. Jochebed was a woman and a slave. Her lot in life was humble and her burden heavy. But through no other woman, save Mary of Nazareth, has the world received a greater blessing. How long was she with him? Not really that long. But through no other woman had the world received a greater blessing except Mary of Nazareth. There is something she did in those years. She understood she only had a short time with him before he went back to Pharaoh's daughter. Knowing that her child must soon pass beyond her care to the guardianship of those who knew not God, she most earnestly endeavored to link his soul with heaven. He was not going to have that link when he went back to Pharaoh's court. She sought to implant in his heart love and loyalty to God, and faithfully was the work accomplished. Those principles of truth that were the burden of his mother's teaching and the lesson of her life no after-influence could induce Moses to renounce. Her purpose, she knew that God had given her a purpose in the life and raising of Moses. For Jochebed to live was God, was Christ, the Messiah who was to come. Everything she did was for that purpose and with that purpose in mind. A question for us, if we're a mother, if we're a father, if we're an educator, we're a person who has a home. All of us have an influence in someone's life. We don't know how long we will have that influence in that person's life. Is everything that is in my home, in my office, in my wallet, in my purse, the books, the music, the DVDs, am I as conscious as Jacobed whether these things will link the souls of the people I come in contact with with heaven? Or in the things I choose, Am I working for the enemy? Remember that she also linked him with a loyalty to God and to his people, as we'll read in a second. Do the words that I speak about God and his church, are they such that they implant in the hearts of those I influence a love and a loyalty to God and his people? with all the difficulties and the challenges the church may have, are the words that come out of my mouth to those around me, such that my children, those I interact with on a day-to-day -day basis, want to serve in the cause of God. And nothing that the world has to offer would ever cause them to renounce that.
But Moses, like Paul, misjudged what God's purpose was. Verse 11, And when it came to pass in those days, when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way, and when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. He didn't do this out of any sense of anger or whatever. Did you notice in verse 11, here he is in the courts of Pharaoh, has every luxury he wants. There is no need for him to have gone out and looked at his brethren. For what? What was he planning on accomplishing there? His mother, though, had instilled in him such a love for the work that God would have for him that And it probably wasn't the only time that he had gone out to look at them and look at the burdens that they had. And when he lived, that's what he was doing. He went out to see their burden. And when he saw them suffering, he did what he thought he needed to do. Paul was learned in scriptures. He did what he thought he needed to do for God. Why did they make mistakes? Education, page 62, says of Moses, Not yet was Moses prepared for his life work. He had yet to learn the lesson of dependence upon divine power. If any of you were here for Pastor Ross's message on Wednesday evening, remember, none of us can fulfill the work that God has given us to do unless we have encountered Christ ourselves. We can do everything we can thinking that we are helping people and actually working for the other side. Unless, unless We have encountered a personal walk with God such that we know our purpose and what he has called us to do from day to day. There is a particular burden in my heart as I was sitting there um, by Chanel while we were singing the songs and looking. My heart is heavy. The harvest is ripe. But the laborers are few. The other challenge is this. The laborers that are out there are so busy that we don't have time to sit at the foot of God and to ask him what is our purpose from day to day such that we might be thinking we are doing a good but yet working contrary to the will of God. keep asking the question. We get patients who come here to New Start, to Wildwood, wherever it may be. They come from all over the place. They come from New York to Georgia. Why? Why do they have to come to Georgia? Look, I'm glad that there's an income into the Institute, but why do they have to come to Georgia? Why does somebody have to come from Oregon 
to California. That was never God's intent. Somebody somewhere isn't answering the call. When I take that patient in, I share with them whatever I know. I give them my email, I give them my phone number, and they go back home. And my heart is heavy because I can't answer all those emails and I can't answer all those phone calls. And there are times when I have searched for a physician in the area close to them who would be willing to help this patient continue and they say they can't because they don't know how to help them. I look for a church to send them to who might be able to help them continue in what they've learned because they're so excited about it. And most of these are non-Adventists that are coming. They're so excited about it that they go back, they look for their nearest Seventh-day Adventist church, Nobody there knows how to help them. What are we doing? What are we doing from day to day? It may be that I'm sitting and looking out into a room of people, all of whom have answered the call, and I pray to God that that is the case. But what if you have not? going to keep waiting? Somebody needs to know this message. For some, the health message may be the only way. For others, it may be simply like this 81-year-old couple that they met. They just need somebody to reach out to them by answering a need they have in their home. We hear all the time of people that saw something on the Hope Channel and then they find out their neighbor was a Seventh-day Adventist. They walked into a church and they recognized someone. Someone they knew and they asked the question, you knew? Why didn't you tell me? And, And maybe, Maybe the case is that they weren't ready at the time. I don't know that. What if it's because somebody didn't answer the call? Paul and Moses were on the wrong path. But they encountered Christ. Moses at Mount Oreb, Paul on the way to Damascus. Is that what it's going to take to encounter Christ? Because let me tell you, if we don't encounter Christ first, if the first and best and last thing on our mind every day is not Christ, we cannot accomplish the work. And that has to be the first commitment. 
If you look back at Philippians, I want to show you something powerful of what happens after Paul has this encounter with Christ. Look at the way he writes this letter to the Philippians. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart, inasmuch both in my bonds and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in judgment, that ye may approve the things that are excellent, that may be sincere without offense till the day of Christ. Paul had such a love for these people. You know, we've used this verse before for ourselves, being confident that the very thing that God has begun in us, that he is faithful to perform. Do you understand that when Paul wrote this, it wasn't for himself? He was confident that God would finish the work in whoever it was that God had brought to him. Such was his love, such was his experience with Christ, that he knew that if someone surrendered their life to Christ, God would complete the work. He was not afraid. He wasn't worried about the results or the success. He knew that if he did his part, if he stayed connected to Christ, if he kept sharing the message, someone would respond. And he was confident. He was confident that he with had begun a good work in that person would perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Do we have such love and burden for the people that God has brought into our lives? Do we look at them as hopeless? That it took six years and they're still not coming? Would we burden for someone that long? Would we keep inviting them or would we just say this is a lost cause? Or do we keep earnestly going forward? Paul had such a love for people and it came from the love that Christ had. He did not engender this on his own. Remember, both Paul and Moses went from fulfilling God's purpose by killing somebody to fulfilling God's purpose by willing to lay down their own life. Remember what Moses said to Christ, or to God, to Christ, when he was up on the mount. Right? Don't take this sin don't to their account. If it means that you take me, 
out of the kingdom, so be it. Moses had such a walk with God, such an experience with God, that if this was all that he, he had to experience, if this was all that he had, and he would never get to experience it again, and that meant that these people would be saved, that was okay. Would we be willing to give up heaven for someone else? Many of us keep doing our work that we do, knowing that there is a greater reward for us at the end. But would we be willing to say, as Moses did, even if I don't get the reward? Do whatever you need to do. Take me out and save them. That's the love of Christ. That can only happen if we've experienced Christ first for ourselves. My question to you is not, are you out there working for Christ? Because here's the thing. No matter who you look at in the Bible, no matter what their story is, if they have met Christ and Christ abides in them, they are out working for Christ. There's no if, ands, or buts, when, maybe, could I. If Christ abides in their heart, it is the natural inclination. It is the desire because they have experienced Christ and nothing, nothing in this world can entice them to do anything but serving him wherever God called them to do so. I'm going to end with one, um, with a section out of Desire of Ages. I wasn't sure how, um, I had a burden to share this, but I, I wasn't sure how it was going to come through. But in Christ's last moment, when he was in the garden, As you're reading through that section, it reminded me, you know, God has not asked any of us yet to die for him, right? He's asked us to be a living sacrifice. But this is the account concerning Christ. The awful moment had come. That moment which was to decide the destiny of the world. The fate of humanity trembled in the balance. Christ might even now refuse to drink the cup apportioned to guilty man. It was not yet too late. He might wipe the bloody sweat from his brow and leave man to perish in his iniquity. He might say, look, let the transgressor leave, receive the penalty of his sin. I will go back to my father. Will the Son of God drink the bitter cup of humiliation and agony? Will the innocent suffer the consequence of the curse of sin to save the guilty? The words fall trembling from the pale lips of Jesus. Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. Three times he has uttered that prayer. 
Three times has humanity shrunk from the last crowning sacrifice, but now the history of the human race comes up before the world's redeemer. He sees that the transgressors of the law, if left to themselves, must perish. He sees the helplessness of man. He sees the power of sin. The woes and the lamentations of a doomed world, your pain and mine, is held up before him. He beholds the impending fate and his decision is made. He will save man at any cost to himself. He accepts his baptism of blood and that through him perishing millions may gain everlasting life. He has left the courts of heaven where all is purity, happiness, and glory to save the one lost sheep, the one world that has fallen by transgression, and he will not turn from his mission. He will become the propitiation of a race that has willed, has chosen to sin. His prayer now breathes only submission. If this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, Thy will be done. When the angel came to comfort Christ, it says that he didn't come to take the cup from Christ's hands. He came to give him power. Do you know how he gave him power? He pointed him to the open heavens, telling him of the souls that would be saved as a result of his sufferings. Here is my question for you. You are weary. You're tired. Some of you have been in this work for a long time. And it's challenging, sometimes disheartening. You wish and you pray and you ask for more labors, and yet there are none right now. And sometimes it feels like suffering. My husband waited 39 years to be married. And when he married, he thought have a home, he would have a wife he could come back home to, and we would be able to spend the evenings together. And the interesting thing is this. Through our six years of marriage, he has never complained of any call I got in the middle of the night, any extra person that needed help, in fact, all he would say was, I'll pray for you as you go out to see that person. Never put a bit of guilt on me concerning that. Because we knew that when we got married, our whole purpose was to be a dynamic team together, stronger than we were individually for Christ. And whatever that sacrifice was, it was small, right? Heaven is cheap enough. I hadn't seen him for a couple of days. 
because he was out doing work somewhere else when God called him to. Now, again, I'm not talking about carelessness and workaholicness and other things like that. There was a period of time that I did that, a misguided calling. But it didn't matter. The picture of a dying world is sent, and the question was, Lord, if you're asking me to answer this call right now at 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, whatever it may be, if it means we drive one hour to Olivehurst back and forth for the meetings, and our worship is in the car, not in the comfort of our bread bed at home, Am I willing to take it? Are we willing to do that? It's not because Jim is a good and great man, good and magnanimous of his own, or that even myself, and I'm telling you, you know, marriage will teach you you're one of the most selfish human beings in the world. But because when I keep looking at what Christ has done for me in my life, the question is, how can I withhold that from any other person? I'm going to ask you to make a commitment tonight. Time is short. Very, very short. There are people asking for help, and some of them are literally paying, I'm not joking, their life savings to drive thousands of miles, hundreds of miles to a place to find some kind of hope and help. Honestly, I don't want them having to drive that far. I want them to use that money in the work that God wants them to do. I'm glad that they're willing to sacrifice and to do that, but I'm asking you who are here today, have you made that commitment to God? No matter what, I'm there. No matter how much what I may be doing may seem grievous, may seem minimal, nobody appreciates me, I'm doing this alone, I'm hurting. My question to you is this, if you haven't answered that call, my plea to you is not to make that commitment. My plea to you is this. Tonight, tonight before you go to bed, can you take that time before God? Can you take that time, maybe even now while you're sitting in the seat, and to ask God, what is it that you are asking me to do? And let me tell you, there's a work for every single one of us. But does someone have a hymnal? Can I? The, um, 
the theme song, the theme song had this phrase, and some of you have been singing this every night. The theme song had this phrase, If you cannot be the watchman standing high on Zion's wall, pointing out the path to heaven, offering life and peace to all, Actually, let me go back, sorry. If you cannot speak like angels, if you cannot preach like Paul, can anyone finish that phrase for me? You can tell the love of Jesus, you can say he died for all. If you have experienced Christ, you can tell someone that. And I'm asking you, please, Please let not one more day go by where you look back and you say, I didn't do what God asked me to do today. That I was busy thinking about my own challenges and problems and sufferings. Let me tell you, commit those things to Christ. Lay them before him. He will carry that heavy burden for you and give you his burden for souls and he will take care of you. He always has. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure when I went into medicine because of the hours that I was keeping. Some of you know, as a child, I fell from a building and left, lost the left parietal lobe of my brain atrophied and unfortunately as a result of my intemperance of hours that I kept I at the age of 28 had my first grand mal seizure in front of a patient after several hours on call And I kept thinking to myself, I'm the one that has to do the work. I'm the one that has to answer all those calls. I'm the one that's got to do this. And there came a point where I asked God, look, I don't, I don't want to do this work if it means that I'm going to struggle with having seizures, if you've ever had a seizure before, the feeling that comes over you at that point, it's that feeling of impending doom is like, it's like nothing else and it, it feels horrendous and then, then it passes on and then you come and you come back. And that wasn't even so much hard as it was to have my husband watch me go through that. A man who doesn't, who doesn't, who has a difficult time dealing with disease but yet with care and loving tenderness he has helped me. By God's grace, I'm seizure-free now on medications. But here's the thing. I mistakenly thought that it was my job to go out and to do all of that work every time and answer every need and call. And here's the thing. It's not mine. I didn't initially want to come and to speak here at GYC because I thought I have too much work. I've got so many other things that I need to do. But it was like God said this, look, you want more labors, you want more help, and I'm asking you to go out and to call them. 
let them know that the harvest is ripe and the laborers are few. And I am telling you, there is someone in every town, in every place who needs to know. So right now, I'm going to ask you to do something, please. if you are willing and please I mean this as a serious commitment if you're not ready that's okay maybe it needs time to, to deal with between you and God and that's okay but if you're willing to seek him and answer and find out what that call is and to answer and to do it and to do it fully with all your heart I'm asking you in just a moment to stand but I'm asking you to stand not knowing how it will happen or if you have the strength or if you're afraid. I'm asking you to stand because I know that whatever God starts in you, as Paul, I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will finish it to completion because he loves you and he loves all those souls out there that need to hear your story. So I'm asking you, please, if that is your commitment, if you're feeling that call on your heart, and especially, specifically, those who have felt the call but have not answered it, I'm asking you to please stand up and to take that stand now. Many of you have answered the call, and I'm not asking you to stand, if you have. I'm asking you to pray for those who have not made that call and that commitment yet. I'm asking you to pray for those who have stood and want to make that call but don't know in what strength or power they will do it. I want you to look to your left and to your right and I want you to look at the face of someone. You may not know what their name is. You may have no clue who they are, but I want you to pick one of those people. I want you to take a moment to pray for them. Pray for them that they will fulfill the commitment that God is asking them to make. Paul asked for the prayers of those that were there that he may boldly speak it. Pray for these people that have stood up right now. Father in heaven, standing before you right now is someone who has not yet answered that call of full commitment to you. God, you said that if two or more are gathered, you are in that place, and you've told us that if two of us are praying about something and we agree on it, touching it, that you will give it, especially if it is according to your will. And I know that it is your will that these souls be committed to you for eternity, Lord, in the work. And so I'm asking you, please, if the enemy comes in like a flood into their lives to present, prevent them from finishing the work, I'm asking you to please hold up a standard against him. Let these, these, the people that are here that are stood up, 
Let them finish the work, Lord God. Equip them to do it. And I ask you for each and every single one of them that you would give them the support that they need, that they would know that they don't have to do this in their own strength, that you who call them, you who call them has already prepared their way. Make their commitment full and complete. Take self out, Lord. And may the kingdom be richer and brighter. May there be places, Lord, that people can go for help because these people answered the call. And for those who are seated, Lord, who have answered that call, I am asking you, please, strengthen them. It's been a weary journey for some. There have been joys and there have been great and exceeding tidings. They've been just wonderful. But they're tired and they want the work to be finished. Let them not take on a burden that is not theirs, but keep them on the knee, their knees, Father, for more laborers. And may the call continue to keep going out, Lord. May we see the work finished. We thank you. We commit this into your hands. We commit each other into your hands. No matter what we experience on this earth, may we go to heaven and be able to say, heaven was cheap enough. Thank you again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.com dot org.